Don't cry for me, White House staffers. The truth is, I will infect you. All through my tweeting, my mad existence, I broke my promise. Won't keep my distance. I always say too much. Never mind the thousands of lies I have told to you. As for wearing masks and acting sane, that is nothing that I will ever do. So don't cry for me, Secret Service. Though COVID might just well kill you. Why? I broke my promise. Won't keep my distance. <coughs> the Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Well, thanks, Lincoln Project. They really do a hell of a job, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> Man. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans, be careful once again, New Orleans on WHIV, hurricane headed their way. Uh, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We've got something special for you today, AM950. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verd and Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. As we go to air today, Vice President Mike Pence and Democratic Vice Presidential Candidate Senator Kamala Harris are just a few hours away now from taking the stage for the first and only vice presidential debate this year. It'll be in Salt Lake City, Utah, and... Uh, Who knows at this point, based on our still COVID-infected president, it could be the last debate at all this year for the presidential tickets. 
whatever happens in uh, Wednesday night's much-anticipated face-off, we will discuss uh, in our uh, special coverage of it on tomorrow's broadcast. Isn't that right, Desi Doyen? Yes, it is. That should be fun. It's going to be a long night for you. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, anyway, as we discussed yesterday, I got a lot to get to. There now appears to be a lot of polls, both national and battleground states, moving in Joe Biden's direction following last week's extraordinary news. Which news, you may ask? <laughs> well, take your pick. You got the Saturday revelation at a mask-free White House Rose Garden event that hard right-wing jurist Amy Coney Barrett would be rammed through the Senate to replace the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the U.S. Supreme Court before Election Day this year. Even though voting in the general election has already begun, even after Republicans insisted back in 2016 that a new justice must never be confirmed during a presidential election year. Or you have the Sunday revelations last week by the New York Times that, among other things, Donald Trump over the past two decades almost never paid any federal income taxes at all and owes some $400 million in personally guaranteed loans that are all coming due beginning over the next four years. His disastrous Tuesday night off-the-rails debate performance, the late Thursday night revelation that Trump and his wife and now more than a dozen people who work in the White House or around the president have been infected by the coronavirus. Thanks to Trump's wildly and deadly careless denial of the disease that has already killed more than 215,000 Americans or the constant hum of his increasingly desperate unhinged tweets. Take your pick. The news since then. It has not been good for Donald Trump, but the polls have not only uh, been bad for him in battleground and uh, uh, nationally, where they appear to be moving in Biden's favor. As we noted yesterday, a number of states thought to be deep red states could also be moving in the direction of Democrats, with Senator Lindsey Graham fighting for his political life against Democrat Jamie Harrison in South Carolina and Democrat Barbara Bollier looking unexpectedly strong against Republican Congressman Roger Marshall in the race for an open U.S. Senate seat in Kansas. Yes, in Kansas. And then there are states like Desi Doyen's home state, of Texas. Yay, Texas. <clears throat> Hi, Desi again. Hey. They have not elected a Democrat uh, down there statewide for any office for years. They haven't voted for a Democratic presidential nominee since Jimmy Carter back in 1976. But this year, with Demo uh, demographics now slowly working their way towards Democrats and Donald Trump working against Republicans... The Real Clear Politics polling average finds Trump up over Joe Biden by just over three points now in Texas. That wow. ain't much. No. So even in Texas, every vote will count this year. So little wonder then that the Texas Republicans are now working so hard to keep as many Democratic-leaning voters from voting at all, if possible. Texas Governor Greg Abbott last week dramatically reduced the state's number of drop-off sites for mail-in ballots, claiming it was needed to ensure election security. 
Uh, while Democrats uh, blasted it as a naked effort to suppress votes, because, of course, that is exactly what it is. Republicans appear to have no similar concerns about election security and the number of drop boxes used back in their primary elections earlier this year. The governor's order limited drop offs to a single location per county beginning immediately last Friday shuttered dozens of sites statewide in some of Texas's largest cities, which just happened to be Democratic strongholds. Even as voters were already returning ballots for November uh, for the presidential election, Texas is just one of five states not to allow widespread mail-in voting this year, with polls showing unusually tight races in uh, America's largest so-called red state. Democrats this year could take over the state House of Representatives in Texas for the first time in 20 years if they are all allowed by the Republicans who run the state right now to vote at all. Analyses of the drop-off location closures reveal that it will disproportionately harm voters in densely populated urban areas versus rural Republican jurisdictions. That led the NAACP and other voting rights groups to file lawsuits almost immediately against Governor Abbott's sudden proclamation. Abbott and his attorney general, Ken Paxton, have resisted calls to expand eligibility to vote by mail. And right-wing courts in Texas and at the Republicans' stolen U.S. Supreme Court have so far sided with the GOP leaders who say that the fear of catching COVID does not qualify voters to receive mail-in ballots. Sorry, voters. To qualify in Texas, voters must be away from their county of residence on Election Day and during the early voting period. They must be already uh, sick or disabled. That's another uh, reason you could get an absentee, a mail-in ballot. They must be 65 years of age or older. They're qualified. But if you're 64 and you got chronic asthma, well, sorry, sucker, get in line at the polls in Texas, which Abbott has otherwise exempted, by the way, from his statewide mask mandate. Harris County, for example, which includes Houston. It's the third most populous county in the U.S., they had 12 drop-off locations uh, planned for its more than 2 million registered voters as of September. Some of Texas's 254 counties are individually as large as 6,000 square miles. So you better start driving now to that one drop-off location that is now allowed in each of those counties. Just one. Harris County alone is larger than the entire state of Rhode Island as one top election official in Houston noted in a tweet. Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo, a Democrat, said mail ballots shouldn't have to, uh, mail ballot voters shouldn't have to drive 30 miles to drop off their ballot or rely on a mail system that is facing cutbacks. Make no mistake, democracy itself is on the ballot, said the uh, Texas Democratic Party chair. But none of that is stopping Texas from doing everything they can to prevent the safe use of mail-in ballots in the middle of a worsening pandemic. The all-Republican Texas Supreme Court, yes, all-Republican, that court ruled on Wednesday that 2.4 million Houston voters cannot receive unsolicited mail-ballot applications 
from local election officials who are dramatically expanding ways to vote in November, or at least trying to, in the third largest county in the nation and a key battleground in Texas, since Houston is uh, very Democratic-leaning. The decision by the all-Republican court is the latest defeat in a string of losses for Democrats whose efforts to make voting easier during the pandemic in the Lone Star State have largely been stymied by the courts. Yeah, and remember, these are just absentee ballot requests that right. speed up the process a little bit. Yeah, and and the, the, the I guess, ironic thing here is that in Texas, third parties like political campaigns and, and private organizations, they're allowed to send out absentee ballot applications to whoever they want, just not government officials, apparently, according to the Texas Supreme Court, because Texas. Yep. So uh, the uh, the county clerk there, Chris Hollins, uh, who had planned to send out the applications to all voters, called the decision disappointing, said the court has sided with political forces seeking to limit voter access this November, placing limitations on nonpartisan outreach that educates citizens about their constitutional right to vote. He said that should not be acceptable in a democracy, citing that as the second blow to Texas voters in less than a week after the governor, uh, he said, endangered millions of seniors and voters with disabilities by limiting counties to a single in-person mail ballot drop-off location. The weeks-long battle over whether mail-in ballot applications can be proactively sent to every registered voter in Texas's most populous county has not appeared to dampen interest, however, in the option. That's good news. More than 200,000 voters around Houston have already requested mail-in ballots. That is double the number uh, that they see in a typical presidential election year. As well, Harris County officials are implementing a $27 million plan to expand uh, voting access by tripling the number of early voting centers, including seven that will be open 24 hours for an entire day. That's cool. And they are adding more polling locations on Election Day, at least until Republicans figure out how to stop that as well. All and they will try. These, yeah, I know they will. All of these efforts have been led by the state's hard-right attorney general, Ken Paxton, who, ironically enough, is actually currently under criminal indictment for securities fraud himself. This guy, talking about law and order, has been fighting these uh, indictments for the past five years while serving as the state's chief law enforcement officer and going all the way to the Supreme Court to keep voters from voting, claiming violations of election laws and leading the charge with more than a dozen other states against the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, a case in which Paxton says the landmark health care law must be struck down immediately in its entirety. That case, by the way, will be heard just 10 days after Election Day by the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, if Paxton's own indictments against him are not enough... Over the weekend, a group of top aides for Texas's attorney general, that's right, Paxton's own aides, asked federal law enforcement to investigate their boss, the top lawyer in the state, for possible crimes that include bribery and abuse of office. 
A letter sent to the state's human resources director said that the uh, executives have provided statements to law enforcement about actions that they believe show that Paxton committed in his official capacity as the, quote, current attorney general of Texas. They said, quote, we have a good faith belief that the attorney general is violating federal and or state law, including prohibitions relating to improper influence, abuse of office, bribery and other potential criminal offenses. Bribery. This coming from his top aides. This is the guy who is deciding who can and cannot vote this year in Texas. The letter signed by the executives uh, include Paxton's first assistant, as well as deputies overseeing divisions such as criminal investigations and litigations. The letter did not provide details of the conduct that they allege Paxton committed, but Paxton's first assistant uh, resigned last week. In a statement in response over the weekend, Paxton's office said that the complaint filed against General Paxton was done to impede on an ongoing investigation into criminal wrongdoing by public officials, including employees of his office. Making false claims, they said, is a very serious matter, and we plan to investigate this to the fullest extent of the law. So Paxton is now claiming that everybody in his own office, who he hired, they're the ones violating the law, not him. On Sunday, Governor Greg Abbott said the allegations involving Paxton, quote, raise serious concerns. And on Monday, GOP congressman and former top aide to Paxton, Congressman Chip Roy, called on his former boss to resign. Wow. Yeah. He says for the good of people of Texas and the extraordinary public servants who uh, serve at the office of the attorney general, Paxton must resign. He said that he uh, any grace for him to resolve differences on these allegations of bribery, abuse of office and other charges, any grace for him to resolve those differences and demonstrate if the allegations are false was eliminated by his choice instead to attack the very people entrusted by him to lead the office, said Roy, adding some of whom I know well and whose character are beyond reproach. So this is the same. Ken Paxton, who uh, drew national controversy uh, last spring after Governor Abbott banned elective medical procedures to try to free up hospital resources for COVID patients. The attorney general actually used that move to ban abortions in the state. He also threatened to sue the cities of Houston, Dallas and Austin if they did not roll back coronavirus safety precautions. And he uh, is touting himself as the state's top culture warrior, according to the Texas Tribune. But perhaps his largest achievement, according to Newsweek, is leading multi-state lawsuits against the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare. Uh, Paxton spearheaded the GOP's 17-state coalition uh, behind the case, which aims to overturn ACA entirely. He called it last year a failed social experiment, adding that the sooner it is invalidated, the better. All of that, stripping health care coverage from 20 to 30 million Americans amid a pandemic in which another 20 million or so have already lost their health insurance along with their jobs, even while Paxton and Abbott are trying to make it more dangerous for Texas voters to simply cast their vote without being infected by a deadly disease.
you know, they say, don't mess with Texas. Well, this is the mess with Texas right now. But you know what? Speaking of culture warriors, as we keep an eye on what is going to go, uh, go on in Texas over the next several weeks here. Speaking of culture warriors, let's take a, a quick break and come back with a real one. Uh, with with a guest who 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 may some listeners may be familiar with here our listeners up in Minnesota, uh, a man who says he may have found the way to convince at least some evangelical and Christian Trump supporters, yes, maybe even some of those in Texas, to get off the Trump train. Pastor Doug Paget of Vote Common Good joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Because I gotta have faith. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, according to polling following the uh, public announcement of Donald uh, Donald Trump's COVID positive diagnosis last week, the polls have been brutal for the president, both regarding his response and his ability to deal with the deadly disease that has already killed more than 215,000 Americans and infected more than 7.7 million in this country. And his head-to-head polling numbers against his Democratic challenger, former Vice President Joe Biden, are also looking pretty terrible for him. A Reuters-Ipsos poll taken on Friday and Saturday as Trump was receiving extraordinary taxpayer-funded, free, socialized health care at the Walter Reed Medical Clinic found that Joe Biden was up nationally over Donald Trump by 10 points. The same poll also found that 50 percent of Republicans, of Republicans, 50 percent, agreed that, quote, if Trump had taken coronavirus more seriously, he probably would not have been infected. Similarly, an ABC News Ipsos poll found that 72 percent of adults say Donald Trump did not, quote, take the appropriate precautions when it came to his own personal health. That number also includes 43 percent of Republicans who said as much. As the days continued, the national polling numbers got still worse for Donald Trump, with an NBC Wall Street Journal poll taken after last Tuesday's off-the-rails presidential debate, but before his COVID diagnosis, finding that, uh, that the president was trailing Joe Biden among registered voters by 14 points. That seemed an outlier at the time when it was published over the weekend until a poll from CNN on Tuesday taken after the debate and Partially after the covid diagnosis was even worse for Donald Trump. It showed Biden ahead nationally among likely voters by 16 points with a remarkable 57 to 41 point spread. Joe Biden over Donald Trump, if that poll is to be to be believed. 
In reporting on that polling, as we uh, mentioned on our previous broadcast, CNN explained, quote, It is important to note that these increases in support for Biden since their last poll have not come along uh, alongside substantial decreases in backing for Trump. The president's core supporters remain as supportive of him now as they have been, if not more. All of which begs the question, is there anything that this president could do or say or fail at or lie about or become infected with that would move a Trump supporter away from Trump to vote for Joe Biden or for anyone else or even to not vote at all for president this year? Looking at Trump's increasingly poor polling numbers, some of you may foolishly think, well, why does it matter? Biden's already clobbering Trump. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to get any of these Trump voters, to which I would respond, A, those are national polls that I was talking about there. We do not run national elections in this country. We run state-by-state state elections, and Biden's margins in those battleground states are much more narrow. And B, you must not listen very closely to the broadcast where we report virtually every day on often successful efforts by Republicans to suppress the disproportionately Democratic-leaning vote in state after state after state. Not to mention the unknown wild cards that could affect this election this year involving computerized voting and tabulation and registration check-in systems that can fail, that can leave voters unable to vote at all, that can be hacked or even accidentally misprogrammed to change result numbers or, yes, could be crippled entirely by a well-timed ransomware attack, which, by the way, remains one of my greatest concerns given how much our voting systems, even where hand-marked paper ballots are used, those systems now rely on the Internet in numerous ways. Anyone interested in saving this country from the terrifying prospects of a second Donald Trump term would be insane at this point to rest on any polling numbers as we're now just under a month from Election Day. So aside from continuing to drive new voters to the polls in favor of Joe Biden, is there a way for Democrats to peel voters away from Trump to help boost Biden's margin? As every vote may be needed in every state this year, but particularly in swing states. If Trump supporters haven't peeled away from him by now, it doesn't seem that anything would peel them away. But new polling from a faith-based organization suggests that maybe that is not true and that both Catholics and evangelical voters, long considered a solid part of Trump's base voters, ironically enough, could be wavering in their opinions of this president even this late in the game. Not a lot of them, but a few of them who, the polling finds, might be convinced to ditch Trump for some very specific reasons that are actually based in their Christian faiths. Doug Paget is the founding pastor of Solomon's Porch Christian Community in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where hopefully at least a few of uh, the members of his flock are listening today on our great affiliate AM 950 KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where Doug also hosts a show himself, at least when he's not out on bus tours around the country trying to promote the common good 
as the executive director of VoteCommonGood.com, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization focused on fostering and spreading the message that Americans can actively spread good in their own communities through the voting booth, in particular this year by reaching out to neighbors and faith voters in swing states. Writing at NBC News uh, the week before last, that would be before both last week's presidential debate and Trump's diagnosis with the coronavirus, Doug wrote that in 2016, many evangelical and Catholic voters seemed willing to look past Trump's bombast and crudeness on the campaign trail to give him a chance, choosing him over his Democratic competitor, Hillary Clinton, by 65 percentage points and 7 percentage points, respectively. Since then, however, they have witnessed four years of unrelenting cruelty. And now some seem to feel that enough is enough. Doug says that Vote Common Good commissioned an extensive survey of religious voters in five uh, swing states, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin in mid to late August in conjunction with leading behavioral scientists at Duke University, USC, the University of North Carolina. The findings of this unusual poll based on core fundamental Christian ethics and beliefs suggest that Trump's unkindness is correlated with significant defections from the president. Doug writes the pattern is strong enough that it could well mean the difference in those key battleground states going red or blue this year. Joining us now to discuss this very interesting survey and what it may tell us about how to reach at least some faith-based 2016 Donald Trump supporters this year is Doug Padgett, who we last spoke with during 2018, uh, the Vote Common Good bus tour that year to reach out to faith-based voters, apparently uh, somewhat successfully that year. Now I believe he is back on the road and down in Florida today, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Doug Padgett, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Brad, so good to be with you, and I am in Florida today. We're uh, spending a lot of time in these uh, five swing states. Not only doing that that polling, but also talking with voters and uh, helping to persuade some of them that, uh, if you can imagine, are still sitting on the fence right now about what they're going to do Which, when it comes time to vote on yeah, the 3rd. Which is really hard to believe. Uh, as I noted, I, we talked to you about two years ago when your uh, progressive evangelical group uh, had a bus tour to flip Congress that year. Good work, by the way. How are you able to reach out to voters on the road this year, given the physical restrictions of the pandemic down there? Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, we're, um, we've been doing this, these live meetings since January. We've actually been on the road for, uh, January, February, and then March, and then just did our work online from the middle of March until the middle of August. And now that we've been back out on the road, we do outdoor events. They're socially distanced. They're designed to be small. Um, but here's the thing that, that voters, um, who are movable, there aren't that many, right? Like we're talking about moving 5%, mm-hmm. maybe 11% of these voters which normally you wouldn't spend a lot of political time, energy, and capital on. The only reason it makes sense in this election is because Donald Trump won by such a razor-thin margin. Mm-hmm. You know, I think numbers are something like 70,000 voters across a number of states. Mm-hmm. So it's a teeny number of voters that could move. If, if only 5% of just evangelical voters in each of those states that you mentioned were to defect from Donald Trump, that's more than his margin of victory in each of those states. Mm-hmm. 
Well, so it's uh, something we refer to as acupunctural inter- intervention and when we do this work. Just a small pinprick can pop a big balloon. Yeah, really. Well, you have identified one way to reach that uh, to reach that small slice of the electorate in your in your poll. Let's discuss this uh, fascinating poll and its findings. It's it's very different from the usual, you know, who who do you support and why uh, the the sort of polling that we hear from a lot of the mainstream media outlets. As you write for NBC news the vote common good survey gives important insight into what factors beneath the daily chatter of politics are likely to be driving some religious voters away from the president the survey looked at how evangelical and catholic voters evaluate trump and biden on core values specifically seven virtues and seven sins so that is fascinating so before we get to the findings of the survey explain the polling itself here doug yeah, we try to take a different approach. Um, and by working with behavioral change experts, people who do polling, who are polling experts, but what they're really looking at is not just to get a snapshot, which we, we hear it all the time, right? When you mm-hmm. see a, a, a poll comes out, we're always reminded, this is not predictive of what someone will do on election day. This mm-hmm. is a snapshot in time of the way they're feeling. That's a certain kind of polling, very important. We're all for it. But there's another kind of polling that people do, and that's behavioral change experts. What they're looking at is, what are the conditions that would need to be in place for someone to make a change in their behavior? And this could be people that are working about, like, how do you do hand washing or mask wearing, or mm-hmm. how do you get people to, to drive the speed limit or to wear seatbelts, that kind of thing. And so the, the way a, a poll is put together has a lot to do with the results that you get, right? We've all learned this, that mm-hmm. the way a uh, question is framed and all the rest. So what we were trying to get at with this poll was not just the horse race. Do you like the president? Do you not like the president? Do you approve of him, not approve of him? Because we know that people vote for this guy even though they disapprove of him, right? Mm -hmm. It's one of the most befuddling parts of our electorate is how can you speak so clearly about his failures and then still vote for the guy? And, well, it's because in 2016 they just thought Hillary Clinton was even more of a problem than Donald Trump. That's one of the things we learned in this poll is uh, that people saw the weaknesses of Donald Trump to be so much greater than the weaknesses of Joe Biden Mm. and less important than the weaknesses of Hillary Clinton. So that was important. Yeah, We can talk about that, that, that more in a minute. But what we wanted to do was to take faith voters seriously and say to them, many faith voters see themselves not first as a voter, but first by the category of their faith, right? So they would say their their faith is what's most important to them, and then how they vote is, a, is an outplay of that. Now, now, I will tell you, as someone who's worked in, in the political side and someone who's worked as a, as a pastor, um, boy, an awful lot of faith voters are really Republicans first, and their faith comes second, mm. which is the, the real problem that yeah. we have to solve uh, on the faith side of things. Mm-hmm. But, but, but they, that's not how someone self-identifies, right? So what we wanted to do was to use not just categories of uh, what do you think of this policy, what do you think of this, uh, this presidential statement, but one to ask the voters about their own uh, interpretation of what are seen as the classic virtues and the classic vices, mm-hmm. or virtues and sins. And to rank each of uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden on those sins, to spend some time thinking about it, to rank them on those, on those uh, virtues. And what we found was if someone sees that Donald Trump is profoundly unkind, they have an 87% chance of not voting for them, whether they voted for him in 2016 or not. 
the one thing that causes someone to move away from supporting Donald Trump mm-hmm. is his lack of kindness. Now, you couple that with uh, his incompetence, and it's 100%. People will not vote for someone who's unkind and incompetent. And I would argue the man is both of these in spades. And so if you want a message to your Christian friends, if you're listening to this right now and thinking, what do I have to do to get through to my nephew or to my aunt or to my neighbor, talk about how unkind Donald Trump is and follow it only up after that with um, that he's not very good at his job. (laughs) And that is the thing that if you get someone to accept his unkindness, uh, they're not going to vote for him. And I, I sort of want to uh, cover how you got to that finding. You you mentioned the uh, you looked at literally the seven deadly sins and the uh, the Christian virtues for both of these voters among both evangelical and Catholic voters and compared them side to side. So you said in uh, as I understand it in this poll polling you found that most voters found uh, when it comes to the sins that Joe Biden was far less sinful than Donald Trump. Am I reading that correctly? That's right, yes. They did. uh, People across the board where they were voting for, no matter who they were voting for, they tended to see Joe Biden as less sinful. And and yet they would still, they they would not, uh, these are voters who I guess supported Trump back in 2016. They admit that he is uh, tr- Donald Trump is sinful, and yet that is not a concern. You say that is just because they thought Hillary Clinton was more sinful. If that's the case, why would they not? Why would that not be enough to peel them away now to Joe Biden, who they see as less sinful? If that makes sense. Yeah. It, no, I, I hear you, and and this is this has been the thing that so many of us in the faith side have been, you know, uh, just trying to understand so deeply, and, and the best we can understand it from this poll, it is that many of these voters don't necessarily think that the president needs to be all that righteous of a person mm. to accomplish their political priorities. Mm-hmm. They're like, sure, sure, he's, he had 70 years, you know, of sort of being a loose-living, you know, sinful man, mm-hmm. um, but now he's doing the best that he can to sort of make up for it. And what I think is going on with this kindness question is no one thinks that Christian kindness is something that uh, you should start working on when you're 74 years old, right? Uh, this, is, this goes back to that everything we need to know we learned in kindergarten argument, right? That right. Be kind to one another. And what has changed for these voters, if you ask yourself, it's a good question, well, Donald Trump's the same thing that he was, you know, today on October 7th as he was, you know, when he came down that escalator five years ago. Mm-hmm. What are people seeing now that's so different? What they now see is that he lacks the ability to become presidential, that he is unkind, not as a tact of campaigning. He's unkind deep in his core. He is just a mean person, right? Like, people have watched him for four years, and they're like, you can't be that reflexively mean day after day after day if it's not somewhere deep inside of you. And so that's why I think people have said um, kindness is something that shouldn't require religion to make you kind. And I got to um, I got to tell you, looking at the looking at this poll and the, uh, the the virtues and the sins that you looked at, you know, had I had to guess in advance of what it would be that would move people, you know, the sins were lust 
sloth, greed, wrath, gluttony, envy, and pride, all of which I think are listed on uh, Donald Trump's Wikipedia page, uh, defining who he is. Uh, And then the virtues, kindness, generosity, humility, chastity, modesty, diligence, and patience. The fact that it comes down to kindness is really interesting, and you note that it's consistent across Catholics and evangelicals, as well as younger and older responders alike, but especially strong among older respondents. That's a group that Trump very much needs to win. Any idea why the older respondents uh, uh, responded as they did there, Doug? Fundamentally, I believe that voters don't vote for the candidate that they like. They vote for the candidate that they believe would like them. And one of the issues Mm. that Hillary Clinton had was that she was not only seen as unlikable by voters, and I didn't get that. I was a big Hillary fan and supporter, but People saw her as unlikable, like they didn't care for her. But they also believed that she wouldn't like them. Hmm. And what's happened with Donald Trump is people have now realized, oh, this guy will turn on anyone. He'll turn on his former lawyer. He will turn on his former friend. He will turn on anyone who's worked closely to him. He'll turn on me. Hmm. So what they've realized is he's just so profoundly unkind. And, you know, the one thing that all of us think about ourselves we all think we're kind, right? This is the funniest part of it is uh, I, I was at a, a rally here in Florida and some of the Proud Boys were there and they were yelling at us and, and, and shouting and trying to overdraw our, our outdoor rally and all this. And I would go up to them and I'd say, um, hey, be kind. And they would all say, I am kind. Like they'd <laughs> scream at you that they're kind. Oh, uh, man. We have one of the things we hold uh, deeply of, of our opinion of ourselves is that we're kind. So when someone is not kind, over time, I think what voters are recognizing is, oh, that's the kind of person that would turn against me as well. Mm -hmm. So older voters, I think, are the ones who have seen, yeah, it's just intolerable. Mm -hmm. Um, At at a minimum, the president doesn't need to be so profoundly unpresidential. Now, I'm not saying that someone is, you know, they look and they say, oh, Donald Trump was mean, I'm not going to vote for him. Mm -hmm. What the poll actually says is, of all the qualities that exist inside of a voter who has moved away from supporting Trump, the one thing that is consistent is they see him as unkind. Mm. So it's that, it's that piece that shows up in every one of the other subsets, right? So someone would say, well, I think his gluttony is a problem, or I think that his chastity is a problem. The thing that's in all of them is kindness. That's why we know that kindness is the one that, that carries the most weight, the most powerful. And it's the one that if we're going to do political work in the next uh, 27 days, uh-huh. that's really the best one to lean into. It's ab- is tap, into people's, tap into people's sense of their own, uh, their own sense of kindness and ask them to vote accordingly. Which is just absolutely fascinating, uh, Doug. Uh, as, a, uh, as a pastor yourself, do you sense that Trump... Has any awareness of any of this? He's famously been, you know, claiming that, uh, and I, I, I quote here, that Biden has a, a long, uh, who is a long practicing Catholic himself, that he has hurt the Bible and hurt God, and that Biden and Democrats oppose religious freedom, which I, is all ridiculous, but does Trump's own rhetoric there uh, actually ring true or speak to these, uh, to any of these on the, still on the fence Christian voters? Look, if Donald Trump had just walked out of the White House, walked across Lafayette Square, and walked in front of St. John's Episcopal Church back two months ago and just held up a Bible mm-hmm. and wanted to have a Bible photo op, there would have been a lot of Christians who would have thought, 
wow, look at him. He, he he's, you know, thinks the Bible's important, and they might, that may have worked. When he asked the Secret Service and the military to use pepper spray, to physically use batons and shields, to drive protesters out so he could do that, that's when they looked and said, you don't get to use this level of cruelty and unkindness mm. to do that. So what Donald Trump fundamentally does not understand is that Christian people who are going to then be voting for him see themselves as kind. And when they're having to defend how unkind he is, how just brutally um, offensive he is, uh, that it's, it's so discordant that they can't quite get their heads around it. And, and this is the thing that, again, with voters that you want to do, and this is the work that I've learned, is trying to convince someone that Donald Trump is a problem or is bad is a waste of time. The man's like a self-cleaning oven. He does all that work for you, right? <laughs> People already have that baked in. Right. They know that about him. What you have to tap into is that the voter is not bad, right? So uh, the work that we do is to say, look, I'm not here to convince you to vote to vote for Joe Biden. I'm here to convince you that you shouldn't be voting for Donald Trump. You're too good of a person to vote for him. Mm. He doesn't get you. Why are you putting your own reputation and life uh, on the and and you know life's work on the line for this guy? So it, it's a shift away from Donald Trump being the problem which he is, and I'm not saying he's not, it, mm -hmm. but you don't have to make that point. And when you do, the person gets defensive because then they feel like, wow, I supported him, so what does that say about me, so I need to double down? Mm. It's rather to call to their sense of, of kindness and to their sense of goodness. Um, so we like to say, look, Donald Trump is no good, but you're good. <laughs> so make a good choice in this next election. Do the right thing. Fascinating <laughs> approach. Uh, and as you said, you argued that, you know, this takes we're talking about just a few voters here who could be affected by this, who went for Trump in 2016, uh, who may be moved away. What did you figure uh, that just a few percentage points you could end up uh, flipping four out of five of the swing states in which you uh, held this poll? Is that correct? Look, yeah, just 5% of evangelicals alone, just that one subset in all those states is more than Trump's margin of victory. What we found in this poll is that 3% of evangelicals are fleeing Trump, mm -hmm. uh, which, is a big, which is a big issue, right? Because that means he's not only losing 3% of voters, but Biden's picking up 3%. So it's a 6% mm -hmm. benefit you know, net. The other biggest piece is an 11% of people who are Christian and evangelical, who sat out voting for either Joe, either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton in 2016. They didn't vote for either of them. 11% are all going to Biden. Mm. So these are people that either didn't vote or they voted third party. Mm -hmm. And i got to tell you, the third party votes in 2016 were so influential. So those voters now in this election are not sitting it out in our poll, 11% of those people are going to Joe Biden. It is going to be a landslide if those numbers that we saw in this poll actually turn out to be reality on Election Day. If. That's a lot because of ifs, This, is just, even, this yeah. is just the evangelical. I'll tell uh, you. Yeah. That I get that. That's why every day we're driving around <laughs> bus and having rallies and holding out because we're not letting one of these people off the hook. Yes, please. Uh, uh, yeah. Let me, uh, last question here for you, Doug. I got to get out. Uh, you conclude in your piece over at NBC News, which I will uh, link to, uh, that many religious voters have woken up to the fact that Trump simply lacks basic Christian kindness and they are looking for an off ramp. 
Let's say I have a, a relative in my family who is a huge Trump supporter, but who is also a, a big religious person, a big evangelical, and yet they are dyed in the wool for uh, for Donald Trump for years. Is there anything that I can say? What would you? How would you advise that I approach that person? Let's just say there was such a person in my family. How would I approach that person to help them off that ramp, Doug? I think the best thing to do is to talk about who they are as a voter and how they see their vote their vote reflecting on them and and asking them to consider this deeply because what Donald Trump has done is created a moment of what's referred to in the behavioral change world as cognitive dissonance this moment where people are holding two commitments at the same time that don't work with each other. So mm. they're cognitively confused. They're cognitively frustrated. They feel like it doesn't make sense to them. And they've convinced themselves that they have to be people who do a bad thing to accomplish a good outcome. Mm. And um, to ask them to consider more deeply if there's not a better choice for them, and if they really do want Donald Trump putting them in a position where they have to do something that violates their sense of goodness uh, and kindness. Fascinating. And, uh, you know, if people are from the yeah. Christian tradition, there's mm-hmm. this great little passage that comes, it's, called, it's often referred to by as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the kinds of things that if you have a religious voter uh, in your life, ask them to, uh, to reflect on that. In fact, we have a campaign we do on our website where people can mail postcards mm-hmm. to faith voters in the swing states with that passage on the front and then a place on the back where they can write their own note. And we not only send you 15 postcards, but we send you 15 mailing addresses of faith voters in Florida, North Carolina, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Get to pick your state and then uh, send, send these, mm-hmm. these uh, postcards. So really intervening uh, on behalf of the faith that someone holds important to them. And look, I, I know we got to go, but it's really easy to say to somebody, like, your faith is a fraud if you vote for Donald Trump. I feel that almost every day, right, mm-hmm. when I have people yelling at me. Uh, that tends not to be a very good persuasion technique. Right. You're better off saying to someone, you're better than this. Mm. Your, faith is, your faith has called you to more than this. I think in this one election, it's time for you to step up and to make this election the exception for them to behave in a way that they didn't, uh, haven't behaved in the past. In other words, they've always voted for a Republican. Mm-hmm. This one time, you're asking them to let their faith be their guide and do something they otherwise wouldn't have done. We think that's the best approach. Very good. Uh, excellent advice. Uh, Doug Padgett, uh, you are definitely better than this, Doug Padgett. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Uh, you can find out uh, and, and sign up for those postcards, by the way, at votecommongood.com. I'm glad you mentioned it because I was going to because I think that's a very cool campaign you got going there at votecommongood.com. You can follow them on the Twitters at Vote Common. Doug Paget is, of course, the executive director and co-founder of Vote Common Good, and he will be uh, recognized by our listeners on the great AM 950 KTNF up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where he hosts every now and again when he's not out saving the world on his bus tour. Doug Paget, really appreciate you joining us today, sir. Stay in touch. Hope to talk with you again soon, and good luck down there. Stay safe, please. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, quick break, and we move to, uh, oh, Gettysburg for Joe Biden's address that follows this break right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Come together right now over me. Sing it, Roberto. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Tuesday, the editorial boards of both the New York Times and the Boston Globe endorsed former Vice President Joe Biden for president. The Globe, however, went even further. They published 12 editorials making the case to 12 different kinds of voters, like the military veteran or the disenchanted voter or the former Trump voter or, yes, the religious voter. Uh, noting that Biden is, quote, uniquely poised to restore the integrity of the presidency and to repair the damage of the last four years. Biden himself spoke to healing the nation's wounds and forging a new path in an address that he delivered on Tuesday at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The site, of course, of one of the most famous and deadly battles in the American Civil War and where President Abraham Lincoln delivered his historic Gettysburg Address. In the 25-minute speech, during which he did not mention Donald Trump's name even once, thank you, Joe Biden spoke of addressing the deep inequalities and divisions that have deepened over the over the past four years under the current president, who has allowed a resurgence of hate that threatens to tear this nation apart again. In his remarks, Biden pledged to bring the nation together again. Here are some of those comments from Gettysburg on Tuesday. Today, once again, we are a house divided. But that, my friends, can no longer be. We are facing too many crises. We have too much work to do. We have too bright a future to have a, a shipwrecked on the shoals of anger and hate and division. You don't have to agree with me on everything, or even on most things, to see that we're experiencing today is neither good nor normal. I made the decision to run for president after Charlottesville. It was hate on the march, in the open, in America. Hate never goes away. It only hides. And when it's given oxygen, when it's given an opportunity to spread, when it's treated as normal and acceptable behavior, we've opened a door in this country that we must move quickly to close, we paid a high price for allowing the deep divisions in this country to impact on how we deal with the coronavirus. 210,000 Americans dead and the numbers climbing. It's estimated that nearly another 210,000 Americans could lose their lives by the end of the year. Enough. No more. Let's just set partisanship aside. Let's end the politics and follow the science. Wearing a mask, wearing a mask is not a political statement. It's a scientific recommendation. Social distancing 
isn't a political statement. It's a scientific recommendation. Duty in history. Call presidents to provide for the common good. And I will. It won't be easy. It won't be easy. Our divisions today are longstanding. Economic and racial inequities have shaped us for generations. But I give you my word. I give you my word. If I'm elected president, I will marshal the ingenuity and goodwill of this nation to turn division into unity and bring us together, because I think that the people are looking for that. Today, we're engaged once again in the battle for the soul of the nation. The forces of darkness, the forces of division, the forces of yesterday are pulling us apart, holding us down and holding us back. We must free ourselves of all of them. As president, I will embrace hope, not fear. Peace, not violence. Generosity, not greed. And light, not darkness. I'll be a president who appeals to the best in us, not the worst. I'll be a president who pushes toward the future, not one who clings to the past. It cannot be that after all this country has been through, after all that America has accomplished, after all the years we have stood as a beacon of light to the world, it cannot be that here and now, in 2020, we will, we will allow the government of the people, by the people, and for the people to perish on this earth. No, it cannot, and it must not. We have it in our hands, the ultimate power, the power to vote. It's the noblest instrument ever devised to register our will in a peaceable and productive fashion. And so we must we must vote. We will vote, no matter how many obstacles are thrown in our way, because once America votes, America will be heard. Lincoln said, the nation is worth fighting for. So it was, and so it is. This is our work. This is our pledge. This is our mission. We can end this era of division. We can end the hate and the fear. We can be what we are at our best, the United States of America. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you. We can do this. That was Joe Biden at Gettysburg on Tuesday as the fight continues. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Doug Paget of VoteCommonGood.com, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at BradBlog.com. That service made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by BradBlog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the TheBradBlog. We will see you there until we see you here next time with our special coverage of the vice presidential debate. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>